The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The scribes and Pharisees said to Jesus, The disciples of John the Baptist fast often and offer prayers. And the disciples of the Pharisees do the same. But yours eat and drink. Jesus answered them, Can you make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come, and when the bridegroom is taking away from them, then they will fast in those days. And he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new cloak to patch an old one. Otherwise, he will tear the new, and the piece from it will not match the old cloak. Likewise, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be ruined. Rather, new wine must be poured into fresh wineskins, and no one who has been drinking old wine desires new. For he says, the old is good. The Gospel of the Lord. Once again, we see a certain borderline accusatory tone as folks speak with Jesus. The Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist, Lord, they're really hardcore. They do serious penance. They fast. They're praying all the time. And your disciples, we don't see that with them. They, they don't fast that way. They don't pray that way. Lord, what's going on? And notice that Jesus doesn't say, you're right, I have to crack them on the back of the heads so that they become as hardcore as you guys are. There's this way we can sometimes compare ourselves in the spiritual life. And the Lord is not saying fasting is bad. He is not saying that style of prayer is bad. But once again, the Lord is looking for something more than that. And so note how he answers them. Rather than deal with the question of fasting directly, he says the issue is, what is the point of all of it? And if the disciples of John the Baptist are fasting and the Pharisees are fasting to get ready for the Messiah, what are they going to do when he actually shows up? And here the Lord says, and he has. In answering this question, Jesus very indirectly says who he is. The point of all of these other things is not because they're great in themselves. 
It is the preparation of the heart for the newness that has been promised. But when the newness arrives, the thing to do is stop preparing and embrace it. The thing to do is stop getting ready and meet it. The thing to do is stop bearing down, saying, Lord, send the Savior, Lord, send the Savior, Lord, send the Savior, and recognize he's standing right in front of you and embrace salvation. And there should be a certain joyfulness in that embrace. We sometimes fall into the trap of that assuming serious spirituality is just grim and serious business all the time. And truth be told, I'm guilty of preaching that way. Um, but note that the Lord is insisting on, before we get to the grim and serious business, we have to get to that holy joyfulness of being able to appreciate, enter into, and celebrate the fact that the one who has been promised has in fact arrived. That the salvation that the universe has been desiring since Adam and Eve fell in the garden has arrived. And so there comes a moment where one must embrace what God has given and to do so joyfully and not to act as if what the Lord has sent isn't good enough so I'm going to hold out for a better deal because there is no better deal than Jesus Christ. And so then he says, and they will, there will be a day, there will be a day when my followers will fast, but it will be the fasting of those who have known me, not the fasting of those who haven't. And that's a different kind of fasting. It is the fasting of those who have known my nearness so that now they understand what my absence really means. Because it's one thing, it's one thing to prepare for a joy that we've never known. But it's only when we have that joy that we really know what it is not to have had it. So note that when they will fast in that day, those days where he is taken away from them, their fasting will not be the fasting of the disciples of John the Baptist. Their fasting will not be the fasting of the Pharisees. They will fast, but it will be the fasting of those who have known and savored the joy of salvation. And that is a very different kind of fasting. And then to make that clear, he returns to the issue of the quality of our hearts and the quality of our character. And he uses two examples, the example of the patching of the old garment and the example, the well-known example of the new wine and the old wineskin. And with these simple comparisons, the Lord is making a very powerful and very important he says, first, you don't, if you have an old cloak, 
with a hole in it and you need a patch, what you don't do is go into your closet, closet and grab the new cloak and say, here's my plan. I'll rip a piece off of this perfectly good new cloak. And then I'll take that piece and put it on the old one. Note, to preserve the old one, I am willing to ruin the new. And it's not going to match anyway. The new material will not match the old. And so, you had, so when you do this, you do two things. You end up with a mismatched older garment, which still has, in a sense, a very noticeable flaw. But you've also rendered useless the new garment. What a remarkable analogy that is for how all too many of us like to approach our faith. We like to use the gospel to plug the holes in our lives, to patch things up, basically saying, oh, the old life, the sinful life, it's basically good. I just need to fix it up a little bit. And so what I'll do is I'll take some bits of the teaching of Jesus, I'll take some elements of the teaching of the church, and I'll patch things up. Rather than accept the whole gospel, I tear a piece out of the gospel. And I say, this is the piece I'm going to live. This is the piece I need. I don't need the rest of it. That, that's the attitude. Why? If I'm ripping just a piece off the new cloak, what I'm saying is I don't need the new cloak. I just need this little piece. I don't need the whole church. I don't need its teaching. I just need this. Because everything else is just fine. And the Lord says that attitude, that attitude is not just wrong. It's dangerous because you are actually destroying, disfiguring the new thing. You're rejecting it. You're throwing it aside. There is no real embrace of the gospel, which is, let me just take page 10. That's all I need. Any more than there's a real embrace of the Ten Commandments that says, I only need to worry about number four. And as long as I have that one, everything is okay. The other nine, I don't need those. But I'm good because I've got number four. And I chose that number deliberately because it's a common error. As long as I take care of my family, everything's good. Oh, be careful about that. Be careful about that. You know, we won't go to Mass on Christmas or Easter because that's family time. And that is a common statement and a common attitude. Family comes first. My kids have sports on Sunday. I've got number four. I'm taking care of my family. 
without the context within which that makes any sense. Note how easy and how common and how subtle this can be. We fool ourselves into thinking because I've held on to a piece of the gospel that I'm holding on to the new. And so the Lord says to those who came to him, it doesn't work that way. You can't just grab a piece of the new and ignore the rest and just use it to patch up the old because the character of the new isn't going to really match what was there before anyway. The Christian teaching of the family, the gospel teaching of the family, for example, does not match what society says. It does not match what our cultures say. It is something beyond that. And so the Lord is also saying, well, you can't do that. Because even then, that new piece you've taken, all you do is try and conform it to the old. And then he moves to a second example, the example of the wineskin and the new wine. And it's really the example of the new wine. And he has two things to say about the new wine that are very, very important. The first is, when you have new wine, the worst thing you can do with it is grab the wineskin, the old wineskin you've always used. Because if you fill that old wineskin with new wine, the old wineskin is not strong enough to hold it. As that wine pushes against the skin and begins to stretch it, it's already stretched as far as it can go. The only thing it can do is burst. The old cannot contain the new. The new is greater and will burst out of the confines of the old. On the one hand, that's a remarkable statement about how the prophecies and the law given to Israel, while they're not bad, are directed to something that is beyond them, something greater than they are. This radical newness of the gospel that comes to us in Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, the Lord isn't simply speaking about Israel. He's speaking about your heart and my heart. Because again, if we're not careful, our hearts are filled with all kinds of old wine of a variety of flavors. And they expand based on the attitudes of the world and life and experience that have been living in there. There's the old wine of my attitudes, the old wine of my values, the old wine of my mistakes, the old wine of my appetites. And my heart has conformed itself to all of those things. It's been shaped by the pressure of all of those things. And then the Lord says, oh, and if you think you can just pour the gospel into that heart without anything being done, don't be surprised when that old heart can't hold it and that old life fails under the pressure of the new. 
I'm going to go to church, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm not going to change how I act and live. And what happens very quickly? This attempt to grow in holiness doesn't last. It falls flat on its face. Because it's trying to fit the new into the old way of living, as if the gospel is just a supplement. And note Jesus is saying the gospel's not a supplement. It requires something stronger, something newer. In fact, this is the gift of the new heart, the new spirit we received in holy baptism, that it might contain this great grace of the gospel and the life of Jesus. But note, if you want the new wine of the gospel, make sure you have the wineskin strong enough to hold it. But then the Lord continues and says something else. Because what's the point of a wineskin? It's to hold the wine we've been drinking. And this is remarkable. Because then the Lord looks at those who asked him this question. He looks at the disciples of John the Baptist. He looks at the Pharisees and their disciples. And he looks at his disciples. And he says, what kind of wine have you been drinking? And those who are wine drinkers have their favorites, don't they? Some prefer white, some prefer a blush, some prefer a red, some prefer dry, some prefer sweet. But the Lord says, what wine have you been drinking? And what have you gotten used to tasting and savoring? Because what happens is when we get very used to our favorite wine, we don't want to change because that's what we like. So notice what the Lord says here. When the palate has gotten used to the old wine, it doesn't want the new because it finds that the old tastes better and it doesn't want to change. And it says the old is the right one, the old is the better one. In other words, the taste I've grown used to is the only one I will drink. And notice Jesus doesn't say the old is bad. But he does say, oh, be careful of what you've gotten used to. Because that tendency of our heart to reduce everything to the familiar, to reduce everything to the safe, to prefer all of those things that conform to my taste at the moment. Without my realizing it, can lead to me rejecting the gospel even though I never consciously say no to it. It just doesn't occur to me to put the new wine in my glass and learn to appreciate it and learn to drink it and learn how to savor it. And so now note this beautiful element that the Lord says. There's something about the gospel, something about life in me that will have an unfamiliar taste. That's an acquired taste that has to be learned. 
but you have to drink it. You have to learn how to do it. And it's not acceptable to simply say, I'm happy with the old. Because that's saying, my heart is not going to move for you, Lord. And what you need to do is learn how to taste like the old wine. You know, we don't consciously say that, but unconsciously that attitude creeps into us. Lord, you have to conform yourself to me. You have to fit yourself into the space that I allow you. You have to speak in a way that is appealing to me. You know, and we see this too sometimes when people talk about the church. And while there is a necessity that the church learn to speak in a way that the modern world can understand, there is also that call that the church should change its teaching or water down its message because it may be too difficult or too off-putting. And note how that too cuts against the grain of what Jesus says. It's not my job to give you the wine you prefer. It's not my job to make sure that the wine I have for you fits in your old skin. It's not my job to give you a piece of material to use to patch up your old garment. It's your job to receive the new garment, take care of it, and put it on. It's your job to get that new wineskin ready for the new wine that I have for you. And it's your job, not mine, to learn how to drink, to taste, and appreciate the new wine of the gospel, the new wine of my life. What a remarkable teaching that is especially for those of us who gather here for the celebration of Mass, because the new wine of the kingdom will quite literally be on this altar. And we're going to come forward and we're going to stretch out our hands to the Lord Jesus who gave us this teaching. But let's understand that that consecrated host that we receive is not here. He is not here to patch up the torn pieces of our hearts. He comes as that new garment that we can put on. And he comes into our hearts that all too readily prefer the taste, the flavor, the feel of so many other things, so many lesser things that while they're good are simply not him. And he says, learn how to appreciate the flavor of my love for you, my grace for you, my mercy for you. And allow me to begin making your heart new so that it can expand beyond what it's used to, but to expand according to the pressure and the presence of my life moving within you. What a beautiful and challenging teaching that is. Because what the Lord is really saying is, I want my people, individually and all together, to be a new wineskin, to hold that fullness of the gospel, and to let that fullness of the gospel expand out 
into this world and to let this fullness of the gospel expand the hearts of my people because there is a greater fullness of life than any of the old things can give you. They're good. They have their place. But their place only has meaning in light of the new that has arrived. Just as the Lord says to those who ask him the question, it's not that the fasting of the others is bad, but it has its meaning and its value with regard to the presence of the one who has just arrived. But when one knows that I've arrived, then the job is to receive me, to embrace me, and to move according to my movement within you. Amen.